So, yeah, First Timothy chapter 1. Um, we started dealing with some things with long-suffering last week in verse 16. Um, so, as I said, we're getting close to the end here of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, there's just a few things that I want to make sure uh, that, we, uh, that we get to cover. Um, <clears throat> notice here in verse 16, we'll read 16 through 20, and then we'll get going. Uh, so 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, How be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth long, might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we had to study your word. It's been preserved throughout the years and ages that we can have it, we can handle it, we can study it, and we can take that information and apply it to our lives, <clears throat> that we would be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, Last week, we started talking a little bit about that issue of long-suffering. And if you notice here in verse 16, <clears throat> he says, How be it for this cause? And, of course, he's talking about the fact that when you back up to verse 15, it says, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now, what we've talked about that is this issue of who is it that Jesus Christ came to save is who? Sinners. So if you're not a sinner... We said last week, he didn't come to save you. So it's a good thing to know that you're a sinner. That way you know that he was one of the, that you were one of the people that he died for. He died for the ungodly, right? When you take a look at this, <clears throat> and that can get into a whole bunch of other things, but notice if you take a look at this, he says, how be it for this cause, <clears throat> the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, how be it for this cause, I obtained mercy. Now, we talked about that mercy back up in verse 13, where he says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And remember, <clears throat> when we look at those things, mercy is what? God withholding what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve, right? And peace is the thing that comes because you've got both of those things working in your life. Now, <clears throat> when we look at this, he says, how be it for this cause? For the cause that he came into the world to save sinners, how be it for this cause? I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Now, we started talking a little bit about that issue last week, and we went over to 2 Peter and found out that Peter was talking about that issue of long suffering. Now, <clears throat> that issue of long suffering, remember, is is that issue of it's a patience, it's a forbearance, it's a it's a slowness to the avenging of the wrong. And that's what God's showing forth today. And the whole issue there with mercy is him withholding wrath. Now, let's go over real quick to Romans chapter 2 um, and, and go through some things. And hopefully we'll see some issues uh, pop up and that might alleviate some of those things for us. When we look at this issue of, of, of long suffering, that issue of forbearance, that issue of slowness to avenging the wrong, um, that's not how we usually operate, is it? If somebody wrongs us, what do we want to do? 
get them back as quickly as we possibly can because that makes this flesh feel good about itself. Well, the problem is, is that that issue is still there <laughs> and you've not actually dealt with it. What this allows you to do is actually deal with the issue. Notice here in, in, in Romans chapter 2, and, and we'll see some things, <clears throat> hopefully, as we look at this. Verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Notice, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, what you notice there is he brings up this issue of what? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance. Now, when you look at that, it's the riches of his goodness and it's the riches of his forbearance and it's the riches of his long-suffering. There are some things that's going on in this dispensation that couldn't have taken place prior to this dispensation according to God's word, right? Now, you stop and you think about this real quick. <clears throat> go get uh, go get 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> go get 1 Peter chapter 3. Well, yeah, hold your place there in Romans. Go get 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> And think about this. <clears throat> is is long-suffering something that's specifically dispensation of grace related? The answer is no, right? If you notice here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, it says, which sometime were disobedient, talking about the spirits that were in prison in verse 19, when once the long-suffering of God, notice, what did it do? waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. When we take a look at that, how many, how many years was that long-suffering of God that he waited in the days of Noah? 120, right? So you've got 120, uh, 120 years that he waited in the days of Noah. Now, let's go back and take a look at a few things. Go back to Romans 2. Then we're going to go and, and go take a look at some other stuff as well. <clears throat> when, you look at, when you look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, <clears throat> Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Verse 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about that great white throne judgment. 
And what people are doing today is instead of looking at his goodness and his forbearance and long suffering as what it is, and that is that it would lead a thee to repentance, what is it that they're doing when they deny that is what? But, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up wrath unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. Now, we talked about it earlier in the Sunday school. What is it that they're going to be judged by is the sins, the works, right? The works of the flesh. So we talked about that earlier. Now, when we're looking at this, what's he saying to a person here is what? You have wrath. And what are they doing every single day is they're doing what? They're treasuring up more wrath and more wrath all the time. Now you stop and you think about that. I did that for 21 years. I had a lot of this stuff that I treasured up to myself and God's long suffering said what? I'm doing away with that. I'm withholding that and I'm not going to put that on you. But if somebody doesn't do that, what do they have is they've got all that and what that shows up is out there at that great white throne judgment. And they're treasuring up wrath unto themselves notice <clears throat> but after thy hardness and here here's the end here's the interesting part notice it says they've they've had a negative response to god's goodness his forbearance and long suffering and what is it that happens he says but after thy hardness and impenitent heart it's a choice that people have to harden their heart and have a, an impenitent heart. And he says, <clears throat> but after thy hardness and thy impen and, and, and impenitent heart, treasure stuff wrath unto, up, up unto thyself, wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. One of these days, that's going to happen. And if you notice in verse 6, he says what? Who will render to every man according to his what? That's that stuff. That's the works that they've performed. The things that they've done in the flesh, with the flesh, that's what that is. That's what they look forward to, and they don't even know it. But their hardness and impenitent heart says what? That doesn't exist. In fact, the one that I'm going to be judged by doesn't even exist. That's what he's talking about in chapter 1. Right. So what we have here is that's their response. They have a negative response to that. Well, go back to go back to Genesis real quick. Well, you've got two different you've got two different groups of people, right? Some people say it doesn't exist, so I don't have to worry about that. And then the other one is, well, my good deeds are going to be good. And what happens is both of them end up over here. Yeah, <clears throat> no, that's a good question. But there, if if I can if I can get rid of the one that's going to judge me, then there is no judgment, right? So if I say the one, I don't even have to say that this doesn't exist. All I have to do is just say, well, God doesn't exist, and that gets rid of that. But what have they done? They've had, like I said, they had that negative response to His goodness and His His His. His righteousness, his long suffering, all that stuff. He says, "We've got this on our own, right?" Or, well, you you don't, you know, 
It was Romans 1. He says, they said he doesn't exist, right? Now, look here. Um, Genesis chapter 6. And I'm sure that we're all fairly familiar with this, but I want us to keep this in mind as we're going through here. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Notice, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born, born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Verse 4, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now, you see this show up with Nimrod, right? He was a man of, um, I just lost it. He was a man of, where'd it go? Right there it is. He was a mighty man, right? So you see that show up. Well, what's the first, who is it that sets up the Tower of Babel? Is him. And there's that connection there. And here's the thing. Notice in verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, you remember, what was it, Wednesday night when we went over to uh, Acts chapter 17 and Paul looks at it at the folks there and he, he it, it grieves him because the whole city is given to idolatry. Well, when God looks at the whole earth, what's he see with the earth is he says, wickedness the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and and you stop and you think about this during this time what does god do during that 120 year period knowing that what's he do long-suffering Right? We see that over in, in Peter. And it's not, you know, oftentimes we get caught up and say, this world is in such a mess, how can God allow it to go on? It's because it's, it happened already. And the reason it goes on is that what? He's showing forth his long suffering so that we would have an opportunity to do something. Now notice this. Um, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Now, when you think about that issue of him being a just man and perfect in his generations, the issue is is he's not gotten into the corruption that the other people have gotten into. Right? It's not that he was sinless and perfect and all that. The, the idea there is He was doing what God was wanting him to do, and he didn't get caught up in that religious system. He kept himself from it, from the the contamination of it. Notice this, verse 11. 
the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Do you know why we see corruption and violence in the world? It's because man's imaginations of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Nothing's changed. But notice this. And this is, this is one of those things that I find just the, the phrasing here. Verse 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Now you stop and you, you ask yourself, whose way is it that was corrupted? It was God's way. Didn't When you look at this, was it God's way that man would be corrupt? No. And we've talked about it and gone through it before. How is it that you corrupt that is with that corrupted wisdom? We talked about all that stuff, right? That's that religious system. That's what Noah kept himself from, right? And so then what happens is God has a way and all flesh, what did all flesh do with his way is the, the flesh corrupted his way. <clears throat> now, it's interesting that he brings up that issue of the flesh, that all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. That's not that I'm going to take my way and do something with it and I've corrupted it. It's God's way. God has a way in which he was going to work. And what does he do instead? Instead of bringing down wrath, did God have the opportunity and the ability to say, I'm just going to do it right now? Absolutely. <clears throat> but instead, what he's setting up is verse, verse 13. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. Can you imagine that, hearing that statement from God? And you, you, no, and you think about that. They've not, you know, a couple thousand years or so. Maybe. But I mean, you think about, you think about where we are and all this stuff, <clears throat> but you've got, he says, <clears throat> for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them, notice, with the earth. Verse 14, make thee an ark of gopher wood. And he goes on down through there. And so what he's doing is, in the time that it takes Noah to be able to build that, 120 years, did God have, did God have the right to have just right then wiped it all out and started over new? Didn't he already do that once? <laughs> Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Start over new. But he didn't. Why? Because of what we read over in 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> now, go real quick over to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, what did God say to Noah? Build thee an ark. <clears throat> so then, what does faith do? Builds an ark, right? Well, if we notice here, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. <clears throat> here you've got verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Now, I like that phrase. Had anyone seen what God was telling Noah that he was going to do? 
So they have no context to what what's going to happen. We I've said this before. When you think about when you think about Adam and Eve when they fell and they go get their fig leaves, had they ever seen a tree leaf die? They've never seen death. So when they pick this leaf off, in their mind, what do they think? This is all I'm going to have to do, and I'm going to be able to cover myself up with this leaf. And it's going to last forever. But what happens is it shrivels up, turns the color, shrivels up, goes away, right? So you have to keep doing it over and over again. That's part of that, that fake wisdom and that false wisdom. But when we look at this, and, and to me, again, that's one of those things just kind of, it's, it's extraordinary to see. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with, what was his motivation? Fear. Did Noah find grace in the eyes of God? Was the grace that he had the motivation for him building the ark? No. What was his motivation? He was moved with fear. And moved with fear, what did he do? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, that brings up a whole bunch of stuff. How is it that Noah saved his family was by what? faith in what what god said god said go build an ark faith does what goes builds an ark if god's faith if god says rest what does faith do now rest if if god says don't do faith does what don't do right and as you go through here that that's the interesting thing because when you look at noah is noah a pattern to them that should hereafter believe? For them, it would have been. Because it's, here's my word, do my word. Accomplish what it says, right? So have you know, you've, we've heard the saying, as Moses was the great lawgiver, Paul was the great grace giver, right? There's a connection between Moses and Paul. In fact, we've got a book over here by Stan that is Moses and Paul. There, there, there's some really interesting connections between those two, yet not the same, right? When we look at this, that's, that's one of those things that we see. During his long suffering, what was it that God was looking for? Faith. He's looking for faith, right? Um, <clears throat> go over to, well, we would have done that. Go back real quick to uh, Romans chapter 9. <clears throat> Romans chapter 9. Notice here, let's start off. We'll just start here at verse 22. In the context here, what's, what's Paul dealing with in Romans chapter 9 is what? Israel, right? He's dealing with his, his, with his people, right? So in Romans chapter 9, in fact, he starts off because what's the question is, at the end of Romans chapter 9, the question is, well, what about God's people, right? And so then Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul says, here's what God's doing for his people. By the way, what he's promised to his people, he will still fulfill. 
And so during that part, he also brings up the issue a little bit later on that we know that the things were written four times were written for our learning that we through patience come for the scriptures might have hope. When we look at what God's promised to the nation of Israel, we don't come along and say, well, he's replaced Israel with us and he's going to be doing something. The same thing he's always been done. He's just using us instead. That doesn't allow you to look at faith, look at the scripture and say, well, God's faithful to what he says because he's changed what he said. Well, what we look at and say, we know that he will fulfill what he's promised. We know that that's going to take place. And that's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 is dealing with is just because there's something different going on in the dispensation of the grace of God doesn't undo the prior 39, 43 books, right? It doesn't nullify them. Um, and we've talked about going through some of those things as well. But notice here in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 22, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the context here. You've got the fact that Romans chapter 9, well, really Romans chapter, well, all of Romans, a lot of, a lot of Calvinists like the book of Romans because they think that in, in that is where you're going to find Calvinism. They, they, they believe that Calvinism began with Paul because they don't understand what the words are. When you look up here and you've got, you've got the fact that the elders shall serve the younger, and they say, well, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So they say, see, God chose one to salvation, the other one not to salvation. There's, you're in that passage. You're in that, that, that issue here. Well, the problem is if you actually understand what's going on, you've got Israel and Edom. They're two nations that he's talking about. And it's not that he's choosing people to salvation. He's talking about service there, but that's a whole other issue. But he's going through and he's dealing with, here's the history of Israel and here's what's going on. Here's some things that God's promised he will fulfill. And we get down here and he's talking about this issue of, 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 of the potter having power over the clay in verse 21. Notice here in 22. Well, look at verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Well, what are those two lumps? They're clay, but who are they representing? Israel and? Well, what he's dealing with there is unbelieving Israel and the little flock is what he's dealing with. You have this lump he's taking out. One is unto honor. That's the little flock. The other is unbelieving Israel. That's the dishonor of the same lump of the same group of people. He's making two different things. Notice <clears throat> verse 22. And, and this goes back to. When we go back to Noah and even today, verse 22 says, what if, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known? So let's stop there real quick. Does God have to make his power known? We look at creation, we know it's known, right? But notice he says, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. What's he showing? What's he showing the vessels of wrath that are fitted to destruction? What's he showing them? He's showing them mercy. And you stop and you think about what's going on <clears throat> during, during the life of Jesus Christ. And you get over to Peter, the Acts chapter 2, and you get the stoning of Stephen. During that time period from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 7, what is God showing? Unbelieving Israel, mercy. 
They stoned Stephen. And what, are the, what does God still do with the raising up of, of Saul is to do what? Still shows them more mercy. Part of, part of what he was doing in the dispensation of the grace of God is he's showing them mercy by withholding the destruction and the wrath that they deserve. They chose to kill John the Baptist, have him killed. They had Jesus Christ killed, and then they killed Stephen themselves. They denied God in the, in the Old Testament. They denied the Son, and they denied the Holy Spirit. You see this over and over again. And what does God do every single time? Shows him mercy. That's long-suffering. That's patience. That's slowness to avenging a wrong and when Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and says the man whom you crucified he's laying it at their doorstep saying this is the charge but notice <clears throat> verse 23 and he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. What's he showing forth to us today is what? Still mercy. And part of that goes back to Romans chapter 3 that says, I've declared both Jew and Gentile that they're all under sin. Why? That I might have mercy upon all. So it's not just extending mercy to unbelieving Israel, but now he's extending mercy to the Gentiles, which is an interesting thing. But that issue of mercy, go real quick to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22. <clears throat> now, we're obviously going to run out of time and not be able to go through all the stuff I want to here, but I'll give you a little bit of homework. Read Exodus chapter 3 or 33 and chapter 34 and connect that with what we're talking about here. Notice Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness temperance against such there is no law now we did a series years ago <clears throat> dealing with the fruit of the spirit so one of the things we always pointed out was it says but the fruit of the spirit is this is the fruit that the spirit will produce in you this is his fruit not your fruit this is his fruit that he's producing in you when you trust in what God's doing. Now, the really amazing part is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All those are, when you go back to Exodus 33 and 34, Moses says what? Show me your glory. And God says, when I pass by, you're going to see my glory. So when he passes by, what's he see? Those things right there. 
when we stop and think about the long suffering that God is putting forth today, it's not just I'm going to withhold my wrath, but people who have trusted in what his son has done and then moves on to as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. When we walk in him, his word works in and through us to produce the fruits or the fruit that is his attributes. <laughs> That's amazing. And one of his attributes is what? Long-suffering. So can we show long-suffering to other folks? It's part of the Spirit working in and through us to produce that, right? So it is possible. Go over real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Does it feel good sometimes to show forth long-suffering? It's hard to do sometimes. And it's His design to do that, yeah. He's designed His Word to do that. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now you take a look at that. Who is it that you're long suffering with in Ephesians chapter 4? <laughs> Your local assembly folks. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying, if therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. And of course, that's a great grace word. That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. How are you going to do that? With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. How is it going to be able to do that? Is willing to put yourself aside for other people and allow God's word to work through you to do that. Is it possible to do this? Absolutely. And not only was long-suffering a pattern to them which should hereafter believe, but long-suffering is also a pattern. He was a pattern also in long-suffering for us that after we get saved, we can go and produce that too by His Word doing that. Go to Colossians real quick. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1. And this is, this is one of those things that we'll see in a couple months or so. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the, one of the prayers that, that Paul has that we've got for some of the folks there. Notice <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this cause, and the cause is the context prior to this, but notice, for this cause, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, how is all that stuff going to work? That issue of being filled, that, that's the idea of being gripped by and controlled by. And we'll see that in just a second as well. 
Verse 11, strength with all might according to his glorious power. Notice this, unto all patience and long-suffering. Notice verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Are we going to be able to, with our power, Show forth all long-suffering and all, all patience with joyness, with joyful, joyfulness. And you can do it joyfully. But it's not us doing it. It's according to what? His glorious power. And as I've said before, oftentimes what we need to do is get out of the way. Right? Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> And again, we see this show up again, Colossians chapter 3, and then he gives us the answer of how it's going to work. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Isn't it great to know that you are holy and beloved? And he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Who's the elect of God? Jesus Christ is. That's one of his titles is he is the elect. When he says, as the elect of God, our identification is so closely related to his that if he's the elect, we are also the elect because we're part of him. And since we're part of him and we're part of the elect, he says, as the elect of God, th that's, that's an election that you get holiness and beloved because you're connected to him. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. What's interesting is, as we go through here, our spirit has been made alive. That's that idea of being quickened, right? And our soul's been taken out of the darkness and given light. And our body has been liberated to do what we're supposed to do based upon the knowledge that we have studying God's word and applying it properly. That's how this works. And we see this. Notice, how can you forbear one another? Again, who's he talking about forbearing with? <laughs> Brothers and sisters in Christ. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. How did Christ forgive you? Of all. How can you forgive? Of all. Do the same thing. Verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. That issue of charity, again, that takes us back to what we talked about a few weeks ago, right? Charity is what? Love specific type of love toward a brother and sister. And we see that over and over again. Verse 15. And, and, and again, we see this. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That word led is what? Make the conscious decision to allow that peace to rule in your hearts. To the which ye also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful one of the first things that Eve wasn't was thankful. One of the first things that Christ was 
was thankful. When you go back to Romans, he says, neither were they thankful. What the life that we have in Christ, what it produces is thankfulness. If we let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And here's verse 16. Here's the crux of the situation. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So again, here's that issue. Let is what? Allowing it to do so. Make the conscious decision to allow the word to dwell in you richly. How? In all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And then what's he do? He gets into wives, husband, children, servants. It touches this life that we have an opportunity to show forth long suffering and all this stuff. This life, it goes down to every single aspect of life. And it's not just a Sunday morning thing or a Wednesday night thing. This is a continual day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision that we take and say, what does God's word say about this issue and how can I apply it? And if you don't have one, go find one. <laughs> find somebody else that's had the same issue. What, what was it that you did? What was the verses that you rested on? That's what it comes down to. And that issue of dwelling, it's at peace. It's there. It's just, it's, it's there. And that, that's what it comes down to. Allow God's word to do exactly what God's word is designed to do. And then we get to, as he says over here in 1 Timothy, Chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Not only do we have long suffering to get salvation. But we actually have long suffering as something that we can put on display. And it's this up here. There's a fellowship that we have with the God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, where they're working in us. Delilah and I were on our way over to your old house the other day and we're listening to the radio and a lady singing a song. Lord, send me your spirit. You got it. Lord, send me your spirit. She's praying for something that if she's saved, she's already got. And then the Christian life becomes a treadmill that I got to go and do to get. God's saying, you've already got it. Just go live in what I've given you. So we'll pick up. There's some things that I do want to make sure that we get with the pattern. And then we'll move on down through the um, rest of the chapter in the next few weeks. So questions, comments? concerns.